0: Thank you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc. Enjoy the message.
1: Hello, hello. I am loving this series. My name is Pastor Lindsay, and along with my husband, we just get the awesome privilege of leading here at Avenue. Family Vibes has been an amazing series. So if this is your first time tuning in with us today, online audience, we welcome you. Or if this is your first time at Av and you're like, I haven't heard anything about Family Vibes. Get on YouTube, check us out. Look on iTunes or SoundCloud, you gotta catch up because this has been just an awesome, awesome resource and tool. So you might be wondering, well, what is Family Vibe? Well, vibe is that atmosphere that people experience, but you're giving off. We all have a vibe. Our church has a vibe. Our family has a vibe. Individuals have a vibe. Come on, restaurants have a vibe. There are restaurants that you have not gone back to because it has a vibe. And so I greatly care about the vibe in this house. I greatly care about the vibe at Avenue Church. This is a house of honor. It's a place of unity. It's a place where we dream together, a place of great generosity. I love the vibe of this house. I care about it. I also care about the vibe in the Bosma household. Come on. I care about the vibe that we give off. Before Jeremy and I had ever decided to have children, we knew that we wanted to be the home that kids felt comfortable coming and hanging out at. We wanted to be the home where our child or children would be happy to bring their friends, proud to bring their friends to our house. Hear me, not because we're the anything goes house, not because we're not the monitoring house, but because there's a vibe of love, a vibe of peace, a vibe of excitement, acceptance, like just loving and graceful. We wanna be that vibe, an attractional vibe in our household. I brought a picture of my son with his friends. I gotta tell you, my house is filled with children. Can you put that picture up real quick? There we go. My little boy is the one holding the umbrella. I have an almost eight-year-old son, eight years old going on, 30 years old, come on. But my house is filled with kids messing up stuff, eating out of the pantry. Yesterday, Levi goes, do you want to know what the favorite room in our house is to me? I was like, what? He goes, the pantry. <laughs> all the snacks are in the pantry. But whether he's eight or whether he's 17 years old, I want to keep the vibe in my home. And I want it to be a place where people love to be. But how many all know vibes take investment? To create a vibe, to create an atmosphere, to create an environment that people want to be a part of. That people say, you know what? I can have this too. I belong here. That takes work. And so our hope is that through this series, Family Vibes, we're not just looking at the vibe of our church, but we're looking at the vibe of our families. And I want to encourage you, if you do not like the vibe in your family, you can do something about it. That God can resource you and equip you. Your church right here is resourcing you. So pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, that you would change our vibe. I pray that our vibes in our families, in our households, in our workplace, God, in our church would honor you and glorify you. I thank you so much for your word that brings so much life, God. And I ask that you would just remove all distractions so that we can get everything that you want for us to get today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the vibe that I'm talking about today is believing the best in others. We believe the best. If we want to be a life-giving church, the core of being life-giving is that we believe the best in others. And we got to ask ourselves as individuals, do we believe the best in others? Do we err more over to the the negative side? Do we have doubt or, or do we truly believe the best in somebody, because hear me, we can take truth and we can either either use it to see God's best in someone or see the worst in someone. And so we choose as a church family, as a Bosma family too, to believe the best in others. And so I wanna take you to a story in the Bible that I love. It is the book of Philemon. If you have ever just had your Bible and you're like, you know what, this is intimidating. This is too hard to read, it is scary. Philemon is literally one page long. It is so small. And I remember when I was in my young adult years, maybe even early, let's go early teens so I don't embarrass myself too much. I literally thought it read filet mignon. I'm like, there's gonna be a book in the Bible that is about beef, filet mignon. But no, it is called Philemon. It is not about steak, although I am a huge fan of steak. So the Apostle Paul wrote this book. And the Apostle Paul is actually a writer of many books in the New Testament. And it wasn't unusual for Paul to write a letter to different churches. And so if you read throughout your New Testament, you'll see these different books because what Paul did is Paul was a preacher. That man could preach, he was so smart. And not only was he smart and a good communicator, but God's power just worked through him. People were getting healed, people were getting touched by God, he was calling down heaven on earth. It was incredible. And what he would do is he would literally set up a church in the cities that he was preaching in. And so he didn't just preach and bounce, he literally preached and set up a church. He would find a local pastor. And so it wasn't unusual that when he left the town, to go do ministry elsewhere, that town would still be on his heart. He still had a pastor heart for that town. And so you would find in your Bible these letters that he wrote to churches to deal with some vibes. So he would say, hey, I'm really proud of the vibe in your church. I'm proud of how much you serve people. I'm proud of how much you love people. I give a shout out to God for the faithfulness of this church, for the generosity of this church. So Paul would write these things. But it wasn't unusual for him to address some bad vibes too. He would literally say, hey, guys, we we, we didn't start this church this way. We didn't start our relationship with Jesus this way. And and somehow this vibe has crept in. And so Paul, being a lover of people and believing the best in people, would say, we got to talk about this vibe. And he would address it. But I want to show you that in the book of Philemon, this is different than any other letter. This isn't like the, the letters to the churches, even though it starts out like it. Let me read this to you. It says, this letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus. So hear me, Paul is literally in prison for preaching Jesus. He's been arrested, and yet he's writing this letter to Philemon, not Philemonion, And from our brother Timothy, he says, I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved coworker, And to our sister, Afia, can I just tell you how grateful I am that the New Testament gives so many shouts out to women in the the ministry? I love that Paul and other Christian leaders and writers in the New Testament are recognizing the work that women did to spread the gospel too, and I think that's awesome. And it says, to our fellow soldier, his name's too hard, we're going to call him Archie, and to the church that meets in your house, may God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And it's in this next line that we're going to read that Paul literally drops a bomb. Because the letter starts out like every other letter. We're writing to everybody, hello to you, hello to you, I miss you, and then he goes to the church in your home. But now it's about to switch. Have you ever been in a conversation where you think like it's going one way and then all of a sudden it takes a different turn? Have you ever been thinking you're gonna just have lunch with a friend and then it just, a bomb goes off? Well, Paul's about to drop a bomb. He says, I always, Thank my God when I pray for you. Philemon, hear me. He's going to take the attention from this letter that you think is going to be to a church. And he's going to single out one individual. And I want to tell you that Paul isn't doing it to be mean. Sometimes some of you have felt that you've been singled out by maybe a leader or a teacher or a coach. And it's not that Paul wants to be mean or stir a pot for no reason. It's because he believes the best in Philemon. It's because he sees something greater in his life, and he needs to pull something out of him. Sometimes when someone comes into your life and drops a truth bomb in your life, it's not because they're trying to hurt you. It's because they're trying to help you. They know that there's bigger steps ahead for you and your family, but you may need just a little bit of nudging to get there. And so now all the focus is shifted on Philemon. It's if that you were sitting in this audience and then, bam, a spotlight comes right on you. Don't worry, that's not going to happen. But it says, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience the good things that we have in Christ, your love, Philemon. Paul is telling him that your love has given me much joy. Do you know that you can have so much Jesus in you that the way that you love other people, it makes my life better. The way that the light just shines brightly out of your life for God, it makes an impact. That's how how great and powerful a Christian can be. And he says, your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Now let me show you how smart Paul is. Because Paul's about to have a confrontation. And any of you who who have had confrontations, you've probably had some good ones. Come on, and you've probably had some bad ones. But when you go in to have a healthy confrontation, it's all about how you start. And Paul is so smart because you sandwich some difficult topics, if you know what I'm talking about, right? He's like, I'm going to put some bread on first, and I'm going to tell you how much love I have for you. I'm going to tell you how proud I am of you. I'm going to tell you how your life encourages me, and then, psh, me. He goes straight to the meat. And why is Paul going to address Philemon? What has Philemon done? Because what we know about Philemon is he is a wealthy Christian. He is a man who had great resources, great business, and Paul was in his town and preached, and then all of a sudden Philemon gives his life to Jesus. And like so many of us, we, when we give our life to God and we recognize all that he's done for us, we just can't sit still. I, I was created on purpose, for a purpose. There are gifts in me that God put in me long before so I could do good works for him. And so Philemon realizes this and he says, I gotta build God's church. So Philemon is literally a builder of God's kingdom. He is a hustler for heaven, and he is working out this church. But what we know about Philemon is that he was also a slave owner. Now hear me real quick, because we are a Western civilization, so we have a different historical view of what slavery is. And hear me, we still deal with slavery today. There is sex slavery. There's all kinds of slavery. And before I tell you what I'm about to tell you, I want you to know that no way ever should there be one group of people superior to another group of people. No way, no how, not ever. If one group of people is ever given more freedom than another, then they should have more of a responsibility to help those who don't have that freedom. But in the days of Jesus, in the cultural context of 2,000 years ago, it was not unusual for someone to own slaves. Now what we know in Western slavery, I need you to take that picture out of your head. Because when someone would work for someone as a slave, they held positions like accountants. Often doctors, often secretaries, different things. Joseph, we know the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He was a slave, and what did he do? He ran Potiphar's house. So although there were some that had to work in horrific work conditions, Philemon did not have those kind of things in his home or in his business. But what happens is that Paul led Philemon to the Lord, and now he's in Rome and he's in prison, and he meets a man named Onesimus. And Onesimus, we find out, is a runaway slave. He's not just any runaway slave. He's a slave who stole money from his master Philemon and ran to Rome. Some of y'all have been running from things, and you think you're running to Rome to get away, and you run into Jesus, hello? And so he goes to Rome and flees the town that he was from, stole from Philemon, got his freedom, and runs into the apostle Paul. And he ends up giving his life to Jesus. Onesimus gives his heart to God. The Bible tells us that even he helped Paul in his ministry. So now Onesimus is a church builder. But what would Paul do? Have you ever been in the middle of a conversation and you start putting two and two together? Philemon is Paul's friend. Do you know back then the laws were that if if you ran away or you stole, you either repaid it or you could even die. Not only could you die or be in prison, but those who held you, and did not say anything, they too could be killed or imprisoned. Have you ever been in a situation where you're stuck between two people you love? You believe in both of them. You see the issues at hand that Onesimus sinned against Philemon. Philemon is a victim. And yet here's Paul stuck in the middle. Will you say middle? middle. Have you ever been stuck in the middle of somebody on the right that you love, somebody on the left that you love? What do we do? Can I tell you that usually we respond in three different ways? And me as a, a woman, me as not, not even just a pastor but a woman, my heart breaks for our culture today because our culture doesn't like being in the middle of anything. Our culture doesn't like to confront. Our culture doesn't like to have healthy confrontations or conversations that involve conflict. And see, we, re- we respond in, in these three different ways that I'm not always proud of. I wish we would take more of a stand for people. I wish we wouldn't be afraid to get our hands dirty. But really, when we're reading about these stories and we're wondering, what would I do? Statistics show that we respond in pretty much three ways. We either gossip, we go mute, or we choose to be a peacemaker. Now let me break these down because hear me, you may identify with one more than the other, but remember, just because you identify with it doesn't mean you need to be it. Just because you may be bent a little bit this way or your personality or your family, you grew up this way, doesn't mean that's the vibe you gotta carry for the rest of your life. That today is the day that the Lord can do something new in you. And so if we are living or treating people in a way that is not believing the best in them or that is not reflective of the love of God in my life, your vibe can be changed before you walk out of this room. It's awesome how good he is. Come on. So let's talk about gossip for just a moment. I'm literally gonna hit on these just briefly. See, I grew up not liking gossip. I didn't like it when I was younger. It wasn't something that was talked about at my family. I didn't have a chatty mom. I didn't have a talkative father. Like, we just didn't talk about other people's stuff. We didn't. We were a direct family. <laughs> we talked about our own stuff. In my house at dinnertime, you never had to ask if somebody was upset about something. It was all over our face. We have no poker face. We would just blah, put it all on the table. And yet we would handle it. Many of you may have grown up in a home where you put stuff under the rug and you didn't deal with it. But in some of our homes, we've learned to gossip. Now, I remember getting a little bit older, more into my young adult years, and I still didn't like gossip, but now I didn't like it for another reason. Not just because I wasn't used to it, but I didn't like it, come on, because I was too grown. I was paying my own bills now. And my life was too busy and too full to be worried about other people's problems. I had my own problems, 99 of them. And your problems weren't any part of my problems or your friend's problems that ain't even your problem. That wasn't my problem, so I don't want to hear about it. So I did not like gossip. But I can tell you, as I have matured in my relationship with Jesus, and this is what I love, that as you get more into his word, as you learn more about who he is and his love for you, and you step into a closer relationship with him, your heart begins to change. So now it wasn't about me not wanting somebody else's drama. Now I, I had such a hate for gossip because I saw that it hurts people. I saw the damage that it would leave. The, the Literally, the words of our lips have power. And they could be life or they can be destruction. And I would just watch as people talked or hear of people talking. And literally, we are not believing the best in others. We're erring on the side of negativity or they must be guilty or they must have done it. And so let's talk. Gossip. So I want to share with you just a couple things that the Bible says. In Proverbs 17, 9, it says, Whoever would foster love covers over an offense. Meaning that if you are so filled with love, that covers offenses. But whoever repeats the matter, chats about the matter, they separate friends. So literally, gossip draws lines. And it separates friendships. Friendships. In Proverbs 10, 19, it says, sin is not ended by multiplying words. And we got to think, when we, when we are confronted with an issue, we, we, we want the issue to end, right? We don't want someone to be caught up in a sin or caught up in a, in a hardship in their life that they just don't have to be at. But it says that the sin doesn't end when we multiply the words. It does nothing for them. Gossip has absolutely no point. It is destructive. And James 4, 11, I love this because we're having Big Family Sunday. Come on, I'm excited about Big Family Sunday. You bring your favorite family meal. We are gonna hang out together. If you ever felt that this church was too big for you to connect to somebody, you come on out to the park and we're gonna have a great time together on October 20th. But the Bible says in James 4, 4:11, it talks about this big family in the house of God and not just at avenue, but globally. It says, dear friends, as a part of God's family, Never speak against another family member. For when you slander or a brother or a sister, you violate God's law of love. It says never talk about your family member. And some of y'all, you are loyal to your family. Like you talk about my mama, I'm gonna stab you. Like you are all over it. You can talk about your mama, but nobody else can talk about your mama, right? But this is saying, I need you to have that heart, not that you're gonna stab somebody, but I need you to have the heart that I don't slander my brothers or sisters. I believe the best in other people. See, there is, I had to ask myself, what is the appeal? What is the attraction in gossip? And I realized that the sexiness in gossip is that it mimics confession. The sexiness of gossip, the attraction of it, is that it mimics confession. Because when we tell somebody, right, when we know information, some of us don't know how to handle that information. We don't know how to go and pray it and get it off me because God tells me to cast my cares on him. We don't know. We haven't done it yet. And so often when we've been given information or we're aware of something, we don't want to keep it inside. And so we tell somebody else and we experience a type of relief. Oh, I got it off my chest. But I would ask, well, what did you do to the person's chest that you just put it on? Right? You just took a monkey from your back and you threw that monkey on somebody else's back. There's sexiness because it mimics a confession. It's not a confession because let me tell you this, even though you're talking with your mouth, the type of confession that Jesus talks about in the word of God is a healing confession. There's a confession that you can experience and live out that's supposed to heal. So this is what we're supposed to do, James 5, 16. Confess and acknowledge how you have offended one another. So talk about it with the person, not to other people about that person. And then you pray for one another. You don't have to have eloquent words to pray. You can just say, dear God, help me, forgive me. I'm sorry for what I did. Help build this back up again. That's all you gotta do. And it says, when you do this, pray for one another to be instantly healed. For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. And so that is the confession that God wants us to live out. Not not the mimicking confession of gossip. But there's a second way that we respond When we hear of confrontation, because you got to imagine Paul. Oh, you're Onesimus, right? (laughs) Holy smokes. And and he's chained. He can't go nowhere. So what if he told over here to, hey, hey, do you know who this guy is? This guy's Onesimus. This guy belongs to Philemon. Bro, he stole from Philemon, right? And we do this, and and we just take the chatter elsewhere. Instead of taking the chatter to one another and coming to a solution. But there's something else that we do if we're not gossiping. Which is honestly just as bad we remain mute or mute imagine paul in prison and and he learns who Onismus Onesim- is and he puts two and two together and what if he said nothing you know someone's hurt somebody you know someone's offended somebody and but you remain mute you see if we remain in silence we convince ourselves that it's not our issue And instead of discussing the issue or talking things out, we come to the conclusion that my name's Jess and I'm not in this mess, right? We come to the conclusion that you do you and I'll do me. And that's where our culture is gone. And so we remain mute. But what we don't realize is silence separates. Silence separates. Because what we do is if we don't confront the issue at hand or we don't confront the information that we have, that information can bother us. And let's say that I heard something horrible about someone, Oh no! say Paul heard this about Onesimus, that he stole, he's a thief. If Paul remains silent, the human nature is to separate yourself from that person. So maybe some of us are separating ourselves from family dinners because we know something or we think we know something, you don't even know if it's true. Or we're separating ourselves from teams at work or come on, teams at church, because we heard something. And instead of coming to the table and saying, hey, I heard this, is, is this true? Because if it is, I, I, I wanna believe the best in you and, and I wanna see a solution. Can we talk about this? But we're not doing that, we're just not doing anything. And sometimes doing nothing at all is just as bad as gossiping. Because we have an opportunity with confrontation. We have an opportunity with a conflict that we can bring about a solution. And what the apostle Paul does is such a wonderful and beautiful example to us because he says, hey guys, I'm gonna be a peacemaker. And you have to understand about every single human being written about in the word of God besides Jesus, they are all 100% normal, just like you and me. All of them have made mistakes. All of them have had mishaps in their life. None of them come from great families. They're all a bunch of mess ups. But yet God inside of them does a work in them and then uses them to believe the best in others. To call out gold from people. And so Paul takes a stance that, you know what? I'm not going to back away and say this isn't my problem. Because hear me, it wasn't his problem. He didn't owe anybody anything. But he had an opportunity. So what I want us to do in a family vibe that, that believes the best in others, we take conflict as opportunity to bring people back together. We bring them back together. And here, I don't, I don't know. For some of us, we don't know how to do confrontation. Because it wasn't done when we were growing up. We don't know how to have difficult conversations, and so we have all this unresolved things in our lives. See, I grew up, like I told you, in a direct home, but I also grew up in a home that, of stories from my grandfather that, that inspired me and, and really shaped my actions. I remember hearing stories of my World War II grandfather growing up in the Great Depression, growing up in segregation, and he told me a story once that he was on a bus with a buddy, And they were taking the city bus and they had just golfed and they were up front and they had their golf clubs and everything and they were gonna take the couple mile ride home from the golf course. When at one of the stops, an African American soldier got on and there were no seats on the bus. And so out of respect and reverence to this man who is serving his country, my grandfather got up and said, you know what, you take my seat. And the bus driver hit the brakes and he said, not on my bus. He said, sir, you can go back to the bus and you can stand in the back where you belong and young man to my grandfather, he said, you stay back now. And my papa said, nope, devil, not today. And he gets his golf clubs and he looks at his friend, you coming? And he gets off with his golf clubs and he walks the two miles back home because he wasn't going to stand for it. So hear me, I grew up in a home that we don't stand for certain things. We, we take stances. Now hear me, that's not always the best thing either to be so reactive. I remember one day I am, guys, raised in East Las Vegas, grew up east of Nellis my entire life, And back in 2015, I was running an errand on Tropicana and Pecos, and it was a rainy day. Come on, you remember the rainy days because they don't happen that much, and it was pouring rain. And I'm in my car, and I'm on my way to an errand, and I'm watching this crosswalk. I'm literally here getting ready to go straight in the far left side, and I see something happening in this crosswalk across Pecos. And I see a larger gentleman stand in almost an authoritative bullying way over a a homeless man. And I see the homeless man looks about 30 years old and I just see the body language. I can't hear what's happening, but I can see what's, what's taking place. And I see this man saying things to this man and I see the homeless man kind of like, well, what do I do? And he stands up a little bit and I watched the bigger man punch the homeless man. And here it is pouring rain, everyone's soaked. No one's doing anything. There's people walking alongside of them that just put some more distance. There's cars all around. And here I am, five foot five, ain't going to tell you what I weigh. I pull my car all the way across traffic. And I get in the middle of those two men. And I told that homeless man, I need you to get into my car. I don't know you, but get in my car. (laughs) I remember going to Albertsons with him because he was bleeding and we needed to get some stuff to fix him up. Albertson's employees were looking at me like I was a hostage. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm the boss here. I got this. And so I did something, but that's how I grew up. Hear me, I'm not always the safest person to be around, but I am the person that if there's injustice of any kind, Lindsay Bosma does something about it, okay? But that may not be how you grew up. You may be the family, much like my husband's family, where everything that was difficult went under a rug, And it didn't get talked about. You just moved on, praise the Lord, see it at Sunday service in the morning and the night, right? They didn't talk about stuff. But in my family, we did stuff. And so you've got to reconcile what you've been grown up with, how you've been raised, or maybe how you've been practicing. And I do not believe that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can teach an old dog new tricks. I don't believe you can't. You can. And so you may be used to be doing things a certain way, but we have to look at the Bible each time that we read it. And say, God, do you want to teach this old dog a new trick? Do you want me to change a vibe in my life? And hear me, if your vibe is mute or if your vibe is gossip, your vibe needs to change to a peacemaker because we need to take these opportunities to bring people together. So let me show you how the Apostle Paul does it. He casts vision, he declares value and he vouches for someone he said i am going to boldly ask you a favor right he put that sandwich uh, stuff on he goes i'm gonna give you the bread i'm gonna tell you how much i love you but now here comes the meat i'm gonna boldly ask a favor of you i could demand it in the name of christ (laughs) because it's the right thing to do don't you love that he's like son i could tell you what to do but instead i'm gonna plead to your god nature See, some of you are getting frustrated and trying to handle some confrontations because you are pleading to human nature. You need to plead to the God nature in somebody. And he says, listen, I'm gonna plead this to you. Because of our love, I prefer to ask you, so consider this request from me, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. So hear me, he was too old to be dealing with drama and he was bound up, but he still said, I'm gonna make this my business. We have no excuses not to make some confrontations our business. He said, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to the both of us. I am sending him back to you, and he comes with my own heart. Friends, some of us need to just receive value from somebody. Some of us need a person in our life to tell us, you know what? You have value. I see the work of God in your life. And maybe it hasn't been a long work, but I see what God is doing now. And I believe what God is going to do in the future. People need to be valued. When we believe the best in people, we let them see vision. We speak vision. Paul is saying to Philemon, Onesimus was was not very important to you. But now he's going to be incredibly important because oh, Philemon, I want to paint some vision for you. I want you to know that he is a kingdom builder just like you. And if you could catch some vision Philemon, that I'm going to ask you to see Onesimus not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. I'm going to ask you to see him as a man of God. Can you imagine what life would be like for them if they locked arms, removed offenses, removed the unforgiveness, and they moved forward in ministry. Be amazing. So peacemakers cast vision that your life can go beyond this problem. Your broken marriage or your broken friendship or distressed relationship does not have to be distressed forever. Let me cast some vision for you. That's what peacemakers do. We paint a picture of a brighter future according to God's word. And we place value in people. So he's saying, Onesimus is coming. He's coming with my heart. He said, he's no longer a slave. I don't want him to be like a slave to you anymore. He's more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. There's the vouching. Paul's saying, if you don't trust him, trust me. Trust that I've been with him. Trust that I believe in him. Trust my character. Friends who've been a Christian for more than 10, 15 years, guys, that's a badge of honor for some people to look at and say, you know what? Okay, if you say yes, I trust you. For those who are just coming new to the faith, but they, they've watched you and they've watched your consistency and they've watched your character and they've watched how you loved and served people. If they are hesitant about somebody, but you give the stamp of approval, they're gonna say, okay, I trust your character. I trust your longevity. Be encouraged with that. He says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, Charge it to me. Paul says, if this man owes you something, hear me, which we know he does. He stole enough money to get from one city all the way over to Rome. Who knows what else he took? Philemon lost wages and money based on what he would have been working and earning. And so, but Paul said, whatever he owes you, charge it to me. Friends, we need to be willing to write checks for other people. We need to be willing to write checks of grace. Grace. Checks of love. Checks of I believe in you. Where's our investment in the people of God? And this is what I love because we think just in our day and age, we get things across to people. We capitalize it. We bold it, right? We emoji it like this is serious. But I love in the book of Philemon, Paul capitalizes the next couple sentences. Like you need to know I'm Paul and I am serious. And he writes, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. He's like, listen, brother, I need to put you in your place. (laughs) You were just like Onesimus, dead in sin, on your way to hell until you confronted a loving Savior, Jesus Christ. So don't forget that I believed in you, just like I'm asking for you to believe in somebody else. And sometimes when we've been a Christian for a long time, it's like we, we, we earn this right that we don't think we have to believe in others and we forget that someone believed in us. We, we don't pass on the grace that we received. and said we separate ourselves. And that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to get our hands dirty. And I love this in verse 21, I'm ending with this. He says, I'm confident. Here's the sandwich, here's the other piece of bread. That as I write this letter, you're gonna do everything that I ask and even more. There's the leadership. I, Paul, your pastor, <laughs> I need you to believe in him, and I believe you're gonna do even more than than what I ask. What's crazy is this book ends and we never know the story how it ends. The book ends and we don't know the follow-up. Don't you hate that when you're like, I'm expecting the sequel, and they never get the budget and bring out the sequel, right? It just ends. And so the story just ends in Philemon chapter one done. But a visionary will look forward and say, you know what? I believe that they didn't just kingdom build the church that they were in. I, Lindsay Boswell, I believe that they planted more churches together. I believe that these two brothers locked arms and in unity. They set a new standard, a heavenly standard, that there was no never slave man or free man. There was no mother female or male, Jew or Greek, but we are in this together and we all wear the blood of Jesus and God is going to do something supernatural. So that is what I choose to believe that that was the beginning of their story. But hear me, it only got to that place because somebody else was willing to get their hands dirty. We gotta be tired, get sick and tired of just being clean all the time. Sometimes we gotta get into somebody's mess. So will you stand with me, please? You might be like, well, Pastor Lindsay, thanks for inspiring me, but how do I confront? I have no idea how to have a healthy confrontation. Well, I'm gonna I want you to take out your phones real quick. I'm not gonna ask you to text that person, don't worry. (laughs) But I am gonna ask you to take a couple pictures. This is a checklist for a peacemaker. And go ahead and just take a picture of the images that I'm about to read. What you need to do is you need to prayerfully consider if God wants you to get involved in something. God, is there a situation that you want me to get involved in? The first question you're gonna ask in your prayer time is, how can I please and honor God in this situation? Go ahead and take a picture of that. The second is if you're getting ready to handle a conflict how can I show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to the conflict? Grown ups take responsibility, friends. We take responsibility. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict? That is an art form in itself. And then how can I demonstrate the forgiveness of God and encourage a reasonable solution? To this conflict. How do I do it? We need to be a church that believes the best in others. I want you to do one more thing with your phone. You're saying, Pastor Lindsay, I still need some coaching on this. Well, guess what? We only do about a 65 minute service, so I'm done. My time is up. But I'm going to leave you with a resource. I want you to text our church number, not my cell phone number. You're going to text 702 727 8280. I want you to text the word family. And what you're going to get back is you're going to get a video podcast a broadcast from a licensed woman teacher who is there to help you have a healthy confrontation. And she will walk you through those steps because here's what it is. Church isn't about just coming and feeling good on Sundays. It's about coming and being equipped, worshiping God, but taking it to my Monday. And so this family vibe series, we don't have to settle for a stinky vibe in our family. We can get resourced and then do something with those resources. Amen? Amen. So I want to close out. I want to pray over you. Father, in Jesus' name, I realize and I recognize that there are three types of people in this room. There are Pauls, there are Onesimuses, and there are Philemons. Father, there are people who you are encouraging them right now in Jesus' name to be a peacemaker. You are putting situations on their heart. There are things that have been undone, and you are going to use them boldly, and I pray you give them wisdom. Wisdom beyond their experience, God. Give them the heart to learn and to pray and to trust you. But there's also people in this place that are like Onesimus, that we can't be Pauls until we ask for forgiveness. So Father, if we have hurt or offended anyone, let us do what you said, that let us go and speak to them. Let us apologize for the offense. Let us pray together and believe that God can instantly heal. And maybe there are some Philemons in the room that we've been hurt. We've been hurt and we were the victim and we didn't do anything wrong. I ask God that you would show us how to forgive. That you give us vision for what a life feels like without resentment or bitterness. And that you would help us forgive. Father, I love you and I thank you that the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name, amen
0: all right come on give god a shout this morning give him a praise today come on what a great message what a great word and man, I here's what I love. I love about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, so sometimes when we hear a message, we go, uh, the Holy Spirit's saying, no, no, no. We can make changes. We can start believing the best in others. We can change the vibe in our home, in our marriage, and our family, and in our church. So raise your hand if you're with me today and say, I'm gonna believe the best in others. I'm gonna believe the best in others. If your hands not up, I'm totally judging you. That's cool. No, I'm kidding. And so here's what I want to do. One one more thing i'm going to pray one more prayer over this church man i love this church i love every single person that's here today i love what god is doing but i want to just pray a prayer real quick if you could bow your heads close your eyes and maybe you're here today and maybe you walked into this room and you felt like you had no purpose you felt like you had no hope you have you feel like you have no vision for your life even maybe today for somebody in this room, this was the last chance. This, was a, this is what we call a Hail Mary. We're saying, God, if you speak, if you don't show up, God, I'm going to give you one more chance. And how many know God says, I love you. God says he's got a plan for your life. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, God created you for good works beforehand. What does that mean for me today? It means that God has a plan for your life. God wants to use you for his praise and his glory. But God first wants to give you purpose today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're saying, Pastor, that message was me today. Pastor, I'm ready to take a step. I'm not asking you to pray a prayer to join our church, although I would love that. I'm asking, can I lead you in a prayer? Can I have the divine honor to lead you into taking a step? step with Jesus to coming into the family of God today to find healing, to find your purpose so you can start making a difference. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want you to put a hand up, put it right back down so I know who I'm praying for today. Right here. Say, that's me, Pastor. Yes. Hand up. Right back down. Just put it right back down. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Up and right back down. Come on. That's a lot of hands this morning. Up and right back down. You give it a clap for that. Amazing. So let's all pray this prayer together. Because how many know we don't do life alone? We're not gonna do this alone. So everybody, everybody say it out loud. Say, dear Jesus, say I need you. Say thank you for dying on the cross. Say thank you for paying for what I did. So today, I need I receive your forgiveness. Say, be Lord of my life. Say be number one. Say with all my heart, the best way to know how. Say, I'm going to live for you. Say, I now know who I am. Say, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. Say, I'm a child of God. Come on, give God a shout of praise today. Thank you for listening to today's message. Avenue Church is a Christian church located in Las Vegas. For more information, visit avenuechurch.cc.